Hey guys, welcome back to the second episode of Champagne. I just want to take a quick minute to thank Alpine Stars. Basically, they've saved my husband's ass on many occasions, as you'll soon find out in this episode of Champagne. Safety should always be your number one priority when racing, so you've got to invest in the best. And Alpine Stars, who are racing ahead in protective gear for a whole variety of sports, are the number one. They don't just protect my husband, but they also protect my next guest's husband. So let's go and check it out. Okay, so uh, episode two of Champagne already, and uh, I'm super excited to introduce my next guest. She's not super excited about it. In fact, she's a bit <laughs> nervous. Nothing to do with our journey here this morning, and it's actually the last round of the World Superbikes this weekend, so there's already some pre-race nerves happening, as well as me pulling you out from the background into the limelight. Mrs. Hattie Hughes, wife <laughs> of Chaz Davies, the World Superbike racer, but you're not just a wife. I want to highlight that. You're actually... I'm my own person, Pip. Yeah, you are. You are indeed. And I just want to introduce you and your role and the things that you do for Chaz because everyone sort of sees you in the background, but they don't actually know you as a person. So I want to introduce you to the world, the podcast world. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so tell me a bit about yourself, Hattie. Thanks for having me on, Pip. I'm very honoured to be the second guest and feeling also a little bit of pressure (laughs) after your excellent first guest. (laughs) Yeah, Sonia was pretty epic, to be fair. She's a very fierce (laughs) business lady and she's uh, got some funny stories. But I mean, we've got funny stories to share as well. We go back a long way. So I've actually known you, Pippa, since we were 17, I think we first met. Wow, yeah, that's... And now we are, I'm not going to say well into our 30s. (laughs) (laughs) We've really just brushed into our 30s hats. We're still young chicks, okay? We're 31, but I've known you for a long time and always in a racing context. Yeah, pretty much the first, I remember the first time I met you was in a a Leon Cambia's motorhome at Thruxton. No way. Yeah, I remember you so well. And I was like this quite quiet, bookish, like 17 year old. Yeah. And I'd never been to any kind of motorcycle race before. And I came with Charles to watch a BSB, and Eugene would have been doing British Super Sport. Yeah, he was. And I think Charles was in GPs maybe at the time, in 125s or 250s, I can't remember. Um, and we came to watch Eugene and Leon, and I remember meeting you. <laughs> and Andy, <laughs> Andy Walker, and a few other characters in Leon's motorhome, and just thinking, who are these people you're friends <laughs> yeah, with? Yeah, it was pretty uh, wild northerner when I was younger. I've cooled off now. Eugene's uh, definitely, we've, we compliment each other. Eugene's a quiet guy, I'm quite a loud person, so <laughs> we've maybe toned each other down a bit. Yeah, but I think you have. Going back to how did you and Chaz first meet then? So we're from a sort of similar area in Wales um, and then when Charles finished school at 16 to go bike racing, so he finished his GCSEs, didn't go to college, didn't do his A-levels, much to my grandma's disgust, <laughs> uh, but because he then didn't have any sixth form friends, his best friend John came to my sixth form and so Charles just kind of joined in with our sixth form fun. And so yeah, that's how we met. That's really sweet. But Chaz, early on in his career, he was traveling in America. He was doing GPs at the time, racing motorbikes. How were you able to balance a long-term relationship, especially because you were then going to go off to university? Because a lot of people don't realize this, but you're actually a qualified lawyer. That's right. I am. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, so I met Chaz at kind of a point in his career where he wasn't actually sure if he was going to carry on with bike racing. He was. Um, he had been in 125s and 250s, but never with kind of 
the best teams or never having had any kind of really great opportunities and so at that point when I met him he wasn't sure what he was going to do he was kind of without a ride um, and then he was wondering whether to go and work with his dad on his dad's go-kart track or go back to college and do sports science or graphic design or something to do with computers so he really wasn't sure what he was going to do and I was sort of always sure that I was like a massive tryhard at school so I was always going to go to <laughs> university and uh, and do something kind of for myself uh, so yeah so I went off to Leeds University and Chaz went off to America racing and then for the next kind of after Leeds I then also went to Ireland for a cookery course and then I went to um, then I went to London and I did my law course there and my law degree there and then started working at a law firm and so what yeah, made you time, want to become a lawyer like why pick law out of all the things you could have done I think like I said I was just always like a bit of a I wanted something that kind of like I looked at doing medicine and then I looked at doing law and I just kind of wanted to do I mean not very kind of imaginative career choices but I just sort of wanted to do something that was kind of... Making a difference. Yeah, like, and I, I didn't love science, so in the end I didn't do medicine, but I really loved English, and I really loved words, I loved history, and so I just found law a more interesting subject, so yeah, that's, that's how. Yeah, and where did you study again? You so I went, Leeds? I did English at Leeds, and then I took a year off after that, um, and then I did law, uh, you can do like a law conversion course if you've done an undergraduate degree, so I did law in London and then uh, got a job, uh, a training contract and then a job working for a firm in the city in London. And I remember visiting you actually, because <laughs> yeah, I was in London at the time and uh, I said, oh, I want to go and see Hattie, because at the time I was traveling with Eugene, you know, traveling around the world and I didn't really get to see you much, but when I knew you had an office in London, I was I always wanted to see you, boss lady hats in her corner <laughs> suite, like absolutely killing it. And I went in this really high skyscraper, and I was like a bit intimidated. I was like, wow, this is this is pretty intimidating. This big law firm. Uh, got my visitor's badge. Got buzzed in. Hattie came into the lunch room because we met in the lunch room. Suit on, totally like two phones on the go, and you were like, "Okay, <laughs> one second, just gotta finish this." And then two seconds later, "Okay, go, fifteen minutes, let's catch up." And it was just, <laughs> I did not say, well, "Yes, you, you did." Fifteen minutes. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's really glamorous, but actually, it's it's pretty boring. Most of the time, just sat staring at a computer screen, reviewing documents, and it's absolutely nothing like suits. No, yeah, it's fun it to was dress more up like suits. It, it was like it, I felt like I was living in an episode. So the suits, I really did. And a lot of people will look and see you and think, oh, you know, she had her own career and she had her own thing going on. Why give that up to move to Andorra? But I don't see it as a sacrifice that you made. I see it that you took your strength and you brought it to Chaz and his racing and really made it into a team. Like you and Chaz are a team. Yeah, like we are. And I think it got to the point where we had for so long, basically all of our twenties really, had a long distance relationship. And that was really fun because we still were part of each other's lives. So I was still had a kind of small role in Chaz's racing and I knew the teams that he raced with, I knew his friends and also he knew my friends from university, from London. Um and so we had this kind of like a shared life but it wasn't really like a life we were building together so it got to that point where I think it was kind of make or break really where you get to a certain point in your life and your relationship and you you need to live together and you need to sort of figure out if you actually want to be together so 
Um, so yeah, it was it was Charles deciding to move to out to Andorra. Um, beautiful place, Andorra. Which is really beautiful. Yeah. And I'd been in London for seven years at that point, and I was kind of. I enjoyed my job and I love the people that I work with, but I was also kind of ready to do something different. And I just thought, why not? I've always really wanted to make the leap. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I can come back. And actually, the firm were really good about it. Um, they took me on as a, a consultant. So um, I transitioned into their another team, which uh, so I became basically self employed. So I could still carry on doing work for the firm in Andorra. Um, but sort of a bit more on my own terms and not, not as intensely as I have been doing full-time in London. So that's, it actually worked out really well. Yeah, um, that's a really luck, lucky transition to be able to do that because a lot of people, when they get into that situation, dating an athlete, no matter who they are, it's the athlete is selfish and you ha- there have to be some sort of give some along the, along the way. I can't yeah. see, you know, sport in general is a very... Um, difficult and very intense environment that all athletes need support in so something has to give and I think you were really lucky in a way that your firm at the time and because you were being an absolute boss lady killing it (laughs) um wanted to keep you on in some way so that transition wasn't so um difficult yeah definitely and like it kind of I've always been quite independent and it was nice kind of retaining a bit of like my financial independence and keeping in touch still with all my colleagues and just kind of keeping a bit of yourself you're not totally surrendering everything to Chaz and his career because you're keeping something for yourself Chaz was really supportive of it as well like it was it was quite hard at times if I had a big project on um but he was sort of it was really nice actually like role reversal he would be bringing me my tea late at night and oh I've I've, I've stayed at your place (laughs) and I caught Chaz at like seven o'clock in the morning bringing you tea in bed and I heard they were like where's mine yeah I was like Eugene where's my tea in the morning and he was like yeah you're not a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) but the focus is very much Chaz's career and like you were saying about us being a team I think it has worked it has worked out well like Chaz is pretty uh self sort of sufficient really like he doesn't need a lot of people around him he's he likes to do everything himself he's a bit of a control freak yeah a little bit like Eugene but I think it's a good way to be like Chaz doesn't depend on a big team at the track or anything he's sort of has a small group of people around him. So myself, also when he can make it, Michael Laverty, Charles' brother-in-law. And it's, it's hard as well to find that person, I think, that you can really connect with and get along with and just spend that much time with. And yeah. quite often, it's even hard to find a friend who, who could, you can do that with yeah, successfully a, in the long term. It's a really difficult balance because at the end of the day, this is business, So, but you're spending 24 hours with them because you're traveling. So there's yeah. a lot of crossover between business and personal personal yeah like even us is like technically we're sister sister in-laws yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Eugene's brother Michael Laverty who is um BT Sport presenter he does all of the comms for BT Sport and MotoGP he is actually married to Chaz's sister so That's in a right. long right way the Davies family and the Laverty family are very much interlinked so um 
It's been nice to have you as a sister's sister-in-law. I know you correct me and say there's no such thing, but I believe that there is. Yeah, I think we're family. <laughs> yeah, we are. But it's difficult because on track, our boys are battling. I mean, not this year, but definitely next year when Eugene's back on the BMW. Yeah, and they have been as well. Like, their whole careers, they've raced against each other. and Yeah. Uh, but I think it's really, it's nice that the boys on track, they can be kind of pretty ruthless competitors. And Charles doesn't think twice, like, as to how he is on track depending on who he's around, you're, everyone's a competitor. But off track, I think the boys are pretty good at, at, at kind of... Separating it. Side, yeah, yeah. And, and Not being, all. Being there is a few rivalries in there. <laughs> we won't mention those, but there is a few rivalries. Another interesting point, though, Heidi, is that you bring not just the law side of things, so you also bring, because as a wife of a racer or even as a helper, you have to be a chameleon and you have to be able to transition into all sorts of roles. Now, not only does Chaz have a lawyer on his hands in you, but he also has a professional cook because you went to the Ballymaloo like cookery course and I know my friend Stefan when when he retired from being a ballet dancer he went to the same cookery course and now he's working in like a top-notch really expensive restaurant in Monaco and you know you have that qualification and you're bringing these absolutely beautiful dinners to Chaz anytime we stay at yours Eugene's like why can't you be more like Hattie and like cook a (laughs) three-course dinner and the thing is I'm not actually doing it for Charles, I'm a really greedy person and so I'm doing it like 90% for myself. Yes. <laughs> I do like I do enjoy cooking and feeding people and I find it like quite therapeutic as well. I went to Ballymaloo um after my yeah, my, the last year of university and it was after my dad died and my mum just had this idea for me to go and do this cookery course and it was it was just such a really like amazing thing to do. Like yeah. just to spend three months doing something you absolutely love in a beautiful part of the world like I was really lucky to be able to go and do it it was my 21st birthday present for my mum and it was just amazing and it kind of did it changed my sort of outlook on life a little bit about kind of just learning to appreciate small things and also yeah. like how important sitting down to meals are and how important food is for you and what a big part of your life it is and I've kind of changed Chaz's perspective on that too because he's yeah. now he like kind of just loves eating at good restaurants like not really fancy restaurants bit of a like food Michelin snob style. now Chaz is a little bit yeah. yeah but not a food snob but like we just like we like things done simply but well so yeah yeah so when you're there at Ballymaloo, what, like, is it that you literally grow the food, you pick the food, and you put it into a recipe, and then you deliver it onto the table? It's the whole thing. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Like their their kind of way of teaching is quite it's quite like kind of classic and a little bit old fashioned maybe, but it's not really as much about it's as much about the how the food gets to your plate or gets to the kitchen as it is about putting it on the plate so yeah it's on a farm and it's a really beautiful organic farm and you literally go out in the morning sometimes and catch the fish in the little boats from Ballycotton I think it's the name of the village no yeah it's amazing that sounds like something from a movie yeah it was so fun yeah it's it was the best three months ever loved it that is really <laughs> nice I think uh, I don't I don't know if I would ever I, I would love to be able to cook better I think because we're we're actually moving down to Portugal so 
hopefully when I have a bigger kitchen, I keep on using this as an excuse. <laughs> when we have a bigger kitchen, I'll be definitely trying to up my game and, and make it more like yours in terms of cooking really nice dinners for Eugene and I think it's nice for myself. Well, like when you move to, like you'll be moving to Portugal and initially, same as when Charles and I moved to Andorra, we didn't know loads of people. So it was just kind of, it was nice that we could be at home somewhere you don't want to be eating out every night but it's kind of just a nice thing to do to have dinner together as a couple to have people around to yours yeah definitely it's like a nice sociable thing like we love hosting people for dinner and barbecues and yeah definitely bring back the cooking for yourself because it's a lot healthier as well because it's so easy to go out have a pizza or have a steak or something like if you're in a position where you're traveling all the time the last thing I I don't know about you but when I get back home all I want to do is sit and watch Netflix Monday after a race week Cook. What? Yeah. No, I wish I had I've that. I've been fantasizing for the last like three days what I'm going to cook when I get home. Can I come round and just <laughs> eat it as well then? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm exa- Are you not exhausted after a race weekend? I am, but cooking's like my therapy. I just love it. And I, Chaz always like takes the mick out of me because I just, I'm so happy in the kitchen and I like, I'm just kind of. Yeah, I just love it. It's How Chaz is not fat, I don't know, because I, I've eaten all of your food, and I, if you are constantly cooking in the kitchen, I am going to be eating, and I would just absolutely gorge on it. I think it's worse when you're the person cooking it, because you're, like, tasting and nibbling, whilst Chaz just gets one plate at the end of it, but I've probably eaten, like, three plates yeah. in the course of making his food. Yeah, true. And it's not all unhealthy, like, we're pretty healthy. Well, even because, I mean, we've shared a lot of bubbles together, but we've also shared some troubles. And um, like just recently when Eugene broke both of his wrists at the start of the year, you really kindly. um, I'm really lucky that I have so many supportive friends uh, because Sarah Hartley came down with me and helped me drive him to Barcelona. And I had all the girls in Monaco pack me like a big bag for the trip. And it's really nice. And then when I was actually in the hospital, you came down and uh, drove all the way to Barcelona just to break Eugene out of hospital. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like, you've you've been to that hospital on many occasions with Chaz as well. It's yeah. an occupational hazard that we Definitely. we tend to come. Yeah. And I remember when I first started going to races and I think, well, uh, when was it? I think it was in Mizano and Charles had a bad accident and went to the medical centre. I remember you were the first person there and you... <laughs> you With the phone charger yeah, and the snack. You were like, here you go. And you handed me like a carry bag and you like rushed from like, Eugene was maybe still even racing or just finished racing, but you obviously hadn't even waited for Eugene. You just come straight I to remember I now. Was. It was when Johnny and Chaz had collided and Johnny had rode over yeah. Chaz and he'd broken his back yeah. so I knew so it, was it was bad it was quite a bad accident but like Chaz was conscious and everything but I just remember that so well you came and gave me this little bag and it had a cereal bar a bottle of water a phone charger and maybe like a cardigan or something in it you were like you know this is <laughs> your hospital <laughs> kit yeah, I know and it's it was so, so bad sweet. it was such a nice gesture and it's so true because those are the things that you really need yeah. in this hospital well unfortunately it wasn't like being with Eugene for 14 years now like we People will look and think, oh, he's been really unlucky. But I see him that he's been really lucky because after every injury that he's had, he's been able to have rehab and get through it and go back racing where there's a lot of people that are not in that privileged situation. But unfortunately with that, like the only two times I've been to a hospital, like in a helicopter, you know, people go on romantic trips, go in helicopters. (laughs) The only time that I've been in a helicopter is going to the hospital with Eugene (laughs) from the circuit. So, you know, I knew... Maybe when he retires, Pip, you're going to have that yeah, like design. Overground Canyon or something yeah. really nice. Not, not, <laughs> not from the circuit to the hospital. 
But, you know, in those situations, I always, always, because everyone's texting you and it's quite overwhelming and it's it's nice that everyone's caring about you, but you're trying to also communicate about getting Eugene to a specialist or communicating back to the family back home who are seriously yeah. worried and you always run out of battery so yeah. that's why I packed the phone charger <laughs> and then you're always thirsty dying of thirst because the adrenaline and the nerves and you're trying yeah. to keep your cool so and you always need snacks and you never have cash for the vending machine so that's why I packed those yeah. little items for you and it's always freezing cold in hospitals as well so you need like a jumper yeah was, and I just think like times like that it kind of makes you realise like the boys are competitors but the best thing that you get of this sport and any sport is the friends that you make in it which sounds really oh, cheesy oh you're getting so <laughs> cheesy now but it's actually is really true and all like the hilarious times that we've all had and oh we've had some good times yeah, it? like some of the epic times, times really <laughs> what would be your what would be your top best superbike moment traveling the world together um there's been loads probably in recent memory fight night in Imola. That was pretty, yeah, that was after Eugene's, I keep on talking about injuries, it sounds terrible, like, after Eugene had his horrific injury in Thailand, um, and he'd broken his pelvis, and we had a little extended holiday in Thailand and Bangkok, let's say, and, uh, but when he came back, Imola was the first race he came back at, and, yeah, and, um, the pit lounge hospitality, like with Yatta, who was working there at the time, she knew that we would just come back and we'd had a really hard time. So she said, come up for like a glass of champagne, a glass of Prosecco. So we went up there and it just escalated from there, really. We just yeah, gathered traction and then it ended up being a big party at our motorhome. Everyone was there. And, uh, and then, yeah, it just escalated into like a bit of a fight night with like a professional we won't name names but professional <laughs> boxer a rookie boxer not even a rookie boxer he was actually a rider who thought he could box a professional and so we we made a bit of <laughs> made a bit of a night out of it but it was really that fun was times a good night. but also like the bad times like when you look back at them like we've had some bad times and actually look back at them and think that they were actually good times. Yeah, they were. Because yeah. you appreciate, when you, whenever you're having bad times, you look forward to the good times. And I think that's really, it's not about, like I always say, you've got to learn how to dance in the rain. It's not about looking and thinking, feeling so sorry for yourself. You just think, no, this experience is going to make me a much harder person and a much stronger person. Yeah, and the experience as well is like, you can't be winning every race. You can't, like, I just think if the boys like ultimately winning is not what makes you really happy in life it helps and it's it's the I mean the bonuses the help as the well <laughs> but it's sort of the the process as well like we've had really terrible race weekends but then you're sat around at dinner with all of your guys and team and you have like just a really nice evening with them and it's for me and I'm speaking for myself I'm not speaking for Charles like he sat there miserable yeah <laughs> <laughs> he sat there like I even did. if he got second in the race he is <laughs> Still not happy. Even if they get first, sometimes they're yes. not happy. Like yeah. they'll they'll get they'll win a race and they'll be like, yeah, but I could have won it by this amount if I had this or did this. They're yeah. constantly challenging themselves. Yeah. Two years ago, here actually in Qatar, uh, we were out uh, with Charles's sister Jodie and her husband Michael, and we were sat in the container. And Charles had done the double; he won both races. But in the second race, he was in contention for second in the championship. Um, but in the second race, uh, Johnny let Tom by and Tom then... Oh, the yeah, the controversial, yeah, so yeah. So it was kind of controversial, but Charles had, like, won the last, whatever, six races, and he'd done the double, and we were sat in the cabin waiting for him to come back. And Jody said, 
he'll be happy with that, won't he? He'll be happy. And I was like, uh, no. no. <laughs> and then he came in the cabin and just in this rage, which he never does, but just threw his helmet across the cabin oh. to where Jodie was sat. Yeah. And not obviously aiming at her, but she was just in an unfortunate place. And she <laughs> looked at me like, oh my God, he's not happy. Yeah, no, the so, point. Yeah, no, but that's not always happy when you're winning. But that's what makes them who they are is you know constantly challenging themselves and not being happy to settle they want to be the best and always be the best and I think that's an an important role but it can take its toll on a race weekend especially when because you have to kind of put everything personal when we're here yes we're the wives but we're also got very many different working roles like I do a lot of marketing and media for Eugene you do a lot of assistant work in terms of like making sure Chaz like can we just mention actually how much Chaz has on the grid. Like, <laughs> Eugene, look, like, we're, this is race day today, so I know you'll be prepping for this already, and it's the final race of the season, super exciting, in, here in Qatar. And all I have to prep is Eugene's little jerry can drinks canister with his precision hydration drink in it, and he likes it cool. Not freezing, not too warm, and that's it. And then his helmet bag and a tissue to wipe his head. Like, that's literally all I have to bring onto the grid. Whereas you... I'm envious of that. I won't list, I won't bore podcast listeners with the list of drinks that Chaz has on the grid. But you come with a bag, like a full... I came with three yesterday, three bags. (laughs) No chair, though. (laughs) Oh, you needed a chair to sit down. maybe a sun lounger today. Yeah, you should get a sun lounger and sit down there with all your bags that you have to bring onto the grid. Yeah, the chair is not for Chaz, it's actually for me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, list everything that you have to bring onto the grid for chat. Um, oh, it's just too long. There's too many things. Like it's and and also the annoying thing is like now I've got it down, but it would be like I'd put things in like just in case, like that you'd never need like a plaster or like a lip balm, and then like he'll be like, "Where's the lip balm?" And I, it'll be the one race where I don't have the lip balm. So oh I, like, yeah, that's I'm typical. Running back to the garage. Yeah. And, but I've learned now if I'm like on assistant duty on the weekends, then. It's trainers all the way. Yeah. Wedges. There's no, yeah, you can't, you, you see, I can get away with wedges today, but that's another thing. Trying to run on and off a grid in high no. heels is disaster. No, one trainers. Yeah, even flip-flops, because one of the girls, um, she won't mind me telling you the story because it's hilarious, Ola. You know who you are, Ola, if you're listening <laughs> to this. She, uh, it was a really hot race in Thailand, and she walked on the grid with, like, Haviana flip-flops on. You think that's totally fine until they actually got stuck to the like tarmac. So she was stood there not realising her flip-flops were like slowly seeping and sticking to the tarmac. And then all of a sudden she went to run off the grid and just like no. just like fell out of her flip-flops and they were physically stuck to the ground. And she they were like, off. well, they were, she was burning her feet on the tarmac and the, everyone was like, get off the grid, get off the grid. And she was like, I can't, I need oh, my shoes. Imagine that, start delay for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, boys. Yeah. No, it's all it's all funny stories like that. Like, yeah. And if it wasn't for you, Hattie, I mean, you keep me out of trouble a lot of the time as well. Like, you do. Sometimes, and you get me into trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong in that. Everyone loves a little bit of a rebel from time to time. We are actually filming, well, filming this, recording this in some random meeting (laughs) room in as like some lost corner of the guitar of the circuit we should definitely not be in here we should not be here but Pippa just blazed past about 10 security guards asking for our credentials which we don't have (laughs) and none of them dare challenge her so yeah you're a 
you're a good person to have Pip around, I would I would be relying on you to get me out of Nazi uh, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could get you out. I could smuggle you out yeah. of anywhere. Yeah, I did the same for Tara Bennett at the uh, London when I when I chat to Tara about how she supports Sam. Hopefully, in an upcoming uh, campaign. She, um, I did exactly the same for her in London one time where she wanted to see Sam and uh, basically I blazed past the security just like, we need to get past and yeah. I, I can black piper my way from yes, time to time. black piper. So black piper <laughs> is Michael Laverty's uh, nickname for Pippa. What does that actually mean? It's like on Urban Dictionary and it's... Yeah, it's it basically means... where you just weigh into a conversation that you have no idea about the topic but you're just weighing in your opinion anyway it's, it's convincingly like, though and I think it's a skill like you would have actually been a really good lawyer oh really maybe I, I should so. I don't think it's ever too late to do no, things like law no never but if I was to go back to university surprise surprise I'd do anthropology <laughs> probably in like I also learn a lot from Pippa <laughs> every day is a history class yeah my passion's history like a lot of people I'm a secret geek I, I love history and um, I just love understanding about the past because I think it's important to learn from the lessons that people have done in the past whereas a lot of people only look to the future but if you look back at the past a lot of things have happened that you can learn from and I think that's a really yeah. important lesson and I think it's cool that you say if you ever go back to university or do something different change direction like you can completely do that and I think some people are slightly confused when you say oh I'm going to give up my law career and I'm going to go and go around the charts for a few years but I don't think your career or life has to be linear in, in that way of like this is kind of Charles's time and motorcycle racing as a career is quite sort of there's a window to do it in and so this is his window and then who's not to say that after it's ours to do something different yeah exactly we're supporting our men but they also support us yeah, incredibly definitely. as well so yeah, it's do. been really good well hi i'll leave it there because the boys i can hear the bikes revving up and i can I know, see I'm you getting sick. nervous <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you cope during the race weekend i'm okay like i th- i don't really love the start it's like a bit hectic once they're away I feel like and also they say things like we're all watching it really stressed and then Charles will come in and be like really enjoyed that yeah no, <laughs> and so I, they know what they're doing and they actually enjoy doing it so I mean it's completely out of your hands and you have to just yeah I don't watch do you watch the sessions yeah I watch yeah because yeah. I hate not watching and then hearing the garage explode and thinking oh my god what's happened like no, nah, you see, I put I put headphones on, listen to '90s classics, bring back the the sash and all the rest of it, and go into my own zone. And just for those minutes that he's out there, I just totally zone out. So that's how I cope. All right, hats. I'll let you go because I can see you like I need to go and prep. <laughs> so do you? <laughs> <laughs> True, I do. One drinks bottle. That's it. I'm Thanks, lucky. Kit. All right, thank you, Hattie.